Hello and welcome to the Great Thinkers podcast, in which current fellows of the British Academy introduce the academics that have inspired their work and shape how we see the world today. GLS Shackle, FBA, spent his career advocating the importance of understanding uncertainty in economics, but his ideas fell out of fashion towards the end of the 20th century. In this episode, economist John Kay, FBA, and the former head of the Bank of England, Mervyn King, FBA, explain why they've come round to Shackle's way of thinking. I'm John Kay. I'm a fellow of the British Academy. I'm a fellow of St John's College, Oxford. I'm an economist. And my great thinker is GLS Shackle, an economist slightly forgotten, but whose contributions, I think, are highly relevant to some of the contemporary problems we face. Shackle was born in 1903. Straight from school, he went to become a bank clerk. He did an external degree at London University and then a PhD at London School of Economics. When the war broke out, Lindemann, often known as the prop, Lord Charwell, set up a little think tank to work for Churchill. The youngish Shackle was one of the recruits in that think tank. And he worked there through the war and for another five years in the cabinet office. But then he became Professor of Economics at the University of Liverpool, which was the job he did till he retired in 1969, just as I was finishing my undergraduate studies. In the 1920s, there was a battle over the attempt to extend the classical theory of probability, which had been developed for repeated events, such as tossing a coin or measuring the heights of a population, to all kinds of events, including unique events that were one-off things that only happened once, by means of what were called subjective probabilities, sometimes also called personal probabilities or even pignistic probabilities. Now, back in the 1920s, economists distinguished risk, which could be described probabilistically, from uncertainty or radical uncertainty, which couldn't. And that distinction was the subject of lively debate when two great economists... Frank Knight at the University of Chicago and John Maynard Keynes in Cambridge, England, argued that this distinction between risk and uncertainty was important. And one of the clearest expositions of radical uncertainty is found in an article which Keynes wrote summarising his great work, his general theory. By uncertain knowledge, let me explain. I do not mean merely to distinguish what is known for certain from what is only probable. The game of roulette is not subject, in this sense, to uncertainty, nor is the prospect of a victory bond being drawn, or again the expectation of life is only slightly uncertain. Even the weather is only moderately uncertain. The sense in which I am using the term is that in which the prospect of a European war is uncertain or the price of copper and the rate of interest 20 years hence, or the obsolescence of a new invention. About these matters, there is no scientific basis on which to form any calculable probability whatever. We simply do not know. On the other side of the debate, there was a colleague of Keynes at King's College, Cambridge, a man called Frank Ramsey, another polymath like Keynes, and there was also a very eccentric Italian statistician called Bruno Di Finetti. And Ramsey and Di Finetti argued that personal probabilities could be used to dispose of radical uncertainty. Everything could be treated as a risk. 
In the post-war era, radical uncertainty virtually disappeared from the economics mainstream and probabilities were, became and still are everywhere ascendant. Now the distinctive contribution of Shackle is that he kept the flame alive, that distinction between risk and uncertainty, emphasising the importance of radical uncertainty and the limitations of probabilistic reasoning in an era when these ideas had become unfashionable. Now, the 2008 crisis exposed the limitations of these models, ones which uh, assumed that all uncertainty could be turned into risk using probabilities. And I came to the conclusion that neglect of radical uncertainty is a fundamental problem for modern economics. And my long-term friend and colleague, Mervyn King, who was governor of the Bank of England at the time in 2008, came to that same conclusion and we're writing a book together about precisely that. It's a pleasure to be here in the same room with Mervyn King to discuss radical uncertainty and to talk about Shackle, because we both think that Shackle, who has become a rather obscure figure, very largely forgotten, we'd like to pluck Shackle out of that obscurity. Mervyn, we've talked a lot about radical uncertainty. How would you define it? So I think radical uncertainty is where you face up to the realisation that we can't write down a long list of all possible future outcomes on a very long piece of paper, and we certainly can't attach probabilities to those events occurring. And that, in essence, is both what drives a market economy, because entrepreneurs existing companies that produce new products initially simply do not know what those future products will be. And in macroeconomics, what I came to understand during the crisis was that the economic framework, which relied on people being able to apply quantitative methods in which you did know the probabilities of various future events, led you to the spurious belief that you could price all risks. And maybe some risks can be priced if they are the result of events that occur regularly and frequently so that you can try to measure the likelihood of their occurring. But most important events that lead to big macroeconomic disturbances are unique events. They're events that people didn't truly understand beforehand. They saw dimly that there were problems but couldn't quantify what might happen. And I think it just was impossible to think about the behaviour of the economy during and after the financial crisis within a framework that said people could quantify precisely the nature of risks and do a sort of calculus based on the understanding, the numerical understanding of what those risks were. We just did not know what was going to happen. The connection to entrepreneurship is really important. The smartphone was launched in 2007. If you went back 10 years earlier and said, imagine a computer that you have in your pocket, people would have thought you were mad. No one envisaged that until very shortly before these kind of products actually came on the market. And the great thing which entrepreneurs like Jobs do is to create opportunities that other people have never thought of and products that other people have never thought of. So what I found striking, John, was that when we began to think about radical uncertainty six or seven years ago, we had come to it through very different routes. I mean, we we had written our book on the British tax system 40 years before. Our careers had then moved in different directions. You had come to realise through your work on business 
how important radical uncertainty was to understanding what business entrepreneurs did. I had moved towards finance and then monetary economics when I moved to the Bank of England, and I had come to understand that it was actually very difficult to comprehend the nature of not just financial crises, but big macroeconomic shocks more generally, without also thinking in terms of radical uncertainty. And coming to it from these two different perspectives, one microeconomic, one macroeconomic, I think made us realise how important that theme of radical uncertainty was to understanding how an economy works. And there was another aspect of our joint experiences, actually. When we were both mainstream academics, we used, as other economists do, models in which people were optimising and maximising things. We both went out into the real world, and we discovered that mostly people weren't maximising anything. They were just trying to muddle through situations that they only partly understood. The great success story of Shackle was that he saw the big point and nailed it. And he realised that radical uncertainty was of fundamental importance. And the end of one or two of his articles, he comes back to the final point saying, even if you don't like the way I have described and analysed this world, nevertheless, I hope that no reader will go away again and believe that uncertainty can be captured by probabilities. That's the key point. And he was absolutely right on that. But he wasn't very good at interacting with others in the profession who were intrigued and fascinated by this way of thinking. But Shackle wasn't very good at interacting with them. And in particular, there was a line of thought introduced by the Chicago uh, statistician Leonard Savage, which actually set out very, very clearly the circumstances in which you could describe behavior in terms of probabilities. He wrote his famous book, The Foundation of Statistics, setting this out. The remarkable thing is that in that book, he says very clearly that the set of circumstances to which probabilistic reasoning apply are tiny. It's a small world in his phrase. And that to apply it to most real world situations would be absolutely ridiculous. And yet so excited was he by his own book that he encouraged people to give broader attention and to forget the qualifications. And that, I think, has been a fundamental wrong turning of economics and, indeed, statistical inference ever since the early 1950s. So Keynes and Knight lost that battle, we think wrongly. You could regard it as an American takeover. American thought came to dominate economics in the post-Second World War period. In the 1940s, two economists... Well, one could call von Neumann an economist. He was an economist. He was more or less everything. He was an extraordinary genius who contributed to the hydrogen bomb and to a whole variety of things. But he and a colleague at Princeton called Oscar Morgenstern created what people now call game theory. And they regarded that as a branch of decision-making and started a whole field of decision science, really, based on that. There was also two economists, two people at Chicago, Savage, whom we've just mentioned, a statistician, and Milton Friedman, who became one of the best-known economists of the second half of the, the 20th century. And Friedman and Savage, when they were both young academics in Chicago, took the von Neumann-Morgenstern decision theory, game theory, and they translated that into situations of uncertainty and linked it to personal probabilities and expected utility. And that's been a framework which has really dominated economics since their time. And Friedman 
who rather interestingly was Knight's successor as kind of doyen of the Chicago School of Economics. Friedman Talley rejected this part of the legacy of his predecessor, Frank Knight. And actually what followed from that was that in the Chicago Economics Department, this framework of subjective probability and expected utility really acquired the status of a dogma. And it was in Chicago that the foundations of both modern macroeconomics and modern finance theory were laid down, the two branches of economic theory that let us down so badly in 2008. Mervyn, as we started working on this, quite a lot of people said to us, you ought to go back and pay more attention to Shackle. Why was that? What he understood was that whereas in a small world, many of the Friedman arguments about the role of markets and prices bringing about equilibrium were useful metaphors, parables for understanding what happens in the world and distinctly useful, but they weren't descriptions of the world. And I think that to understand the operation of a market economy in practice, it is crucial to realize that people are making decisions today without knowing what will happen in the future and without knowing the direction in which prices may move to bring about some sort of future balance between supply and demand. They just don't know. They have to make judgments quickly without knowing what the future holds. And that is the essence of how the economy works. And that was a fundamental point in in Shackle's thinking. Yes, so that Shackle really understood both the microeconomic and the macroeconomic importance of radical uncertainty. The microeconomic following Knight's insights, which were that it was because of radical uncertainty that people like Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos have been able to do the things they have done. But Shackle also understood, as most of the followers of Keynes did not, how important radical uncertainty had been to Keynes's thinking in his general theory. In one of his essays, Shackle begins by telling the following story. The story I am going to tell describes the thoughts of a certain sentry, who had to decide whether to obey his immediate superior, the treacherous captain of the guard, in a plot against the Chinese emperor, or to stand alone against the rebels in loyal defence of the Chinese emperor's representative, the Lady Hibiscus. The sentry was testing the stacked bows of mulberry wood and setting the arrows in order. I am a man who seizes opportunity, he told the admiring women. If I obey the captain of the guard, two things may happen. Either the rebellion succeeds and I remain a soldier in the guard, or the rebellion fails and I lose my head. Whereas if I obey the lady hibiscus, two things may happen. Either the rebellion succeeds and I lose my head, or the rebellion fails, when I shall receive rewards quite beyond my imagination to conceive. Of these four possibilities, only the last attracts me. So I shall strive to hold this tower unentered, for as long as possible, until the arrival of help from elsewhere. Now, this eminently wise and sensible decision, reached with such incisive logic, might not have been so easily reached had the sentry been acquainted with the theory of probability. For then he might have argued the following. I find in the record of history a thousand cases similar to my own, where the person concerned decided upon treachery, 
and in only 400 of these cases the rebellion failed and he was beheaded. On balance, therefore, the advantage seems to lie with treachery, provided one does it often enough. Now, he uses that passage to illustrate a number of key points in his approach to thinking about uncertainty. First, we live in a world of radical uncertainty, in which what Shackle called surprise plays a critical role. The things uh, like the smartphone we didn't imagine were going to happen before they did happen. And Shackle put a lot of emphasis, and the story of the captain of the guard illustrates it rather well, that most decisions have a character of unique events. We can't appeal to frequencies for guidance. And as the story rather vividly illustrates, there's not much point in asking what would happen if this event were repeated. Thirdly, we view the future in terms of what we call reference narratives rather than probabilities. We have an idea about what the future is going to hold. And what we mean by risk is really departures from that reference narrative. And finally, even if we were able to define all the alternative possibilities open to us, we can't evaluate them because we don't know what they would really involve. That's when, um, in Shackle's story, he talks about the guard saying, rewards quite beyond my imagination to conceive. He thinks it'll be good, but he's no idea what it will entail. So the rewards go to the entrepreneur. I am, said the guard, a man who seizes opportunity. That's what the entrepreneurs we've talked about did. The idea that we've discussed, John, and we've put into the, the book is the analogy with the Friedman concept of billiard players understanding both Newtonian mechanics or differential equations, implicitly understanding this to make their shots. Because the interest in billiards does not come from understanding the mathematical equations. The interest in billiards comes because people make mistakes. They make small errors. They get a fluke shot. Something happens that surprises them, and that's what explains why player A beats player B. And put on the big stage of the economy, the reason why some firms do well and some products succeed are not things that you can ever discover at the very beginning. And there is no process of a grand auction that will enable you to discover that. You have to find out in real time. That's how the economy behaves. And that also has macroeconomic consequences too in financial markets. And these effects can be sufficiently large that you see large macroeconomic shocks. Shackle's understanding of appropriate behaviour in the face of radical uncertainty could hardly be more different from the standard treatment, particularly in finance theory, which treats risk as volatility and measures the cost of risk by combining the variance around the mean with a coefficient of risk aversion derived from something called diminishing marginal utility of income or wealth. And yet we think that Shackle's approach to uncertainty corresponds much better to how people think in ordinary life. Finance economists think of risk as being volatility. That's not what ordinary people mean. If you go and look up the Oxford English Dictionary, risk is defined as possibility that something unpleasant or unwelcome will happen. You never hear someone say, there's a risk I might win the lottery. 
because that's just not what people think of as a risk. They don't even say there's a risk I might not win the lottery because they don't really expect to win the lottery. And that means what is meant by risk is particular to the individual or the household or the business concerned. Risk doesn't mean the same thing to a company board as it means to a household or it means to a racing driver. Risk is regarded in the theory of finance as a property of the financial instruments that are bought and sold in the market, not a property of the individuals who are taking risks. And I think this is of fundamental importance. It's linked also to the idea that before the crisis, people felt that if they could create more and more new financial instruments, then they were filling in the gaps in the market for the opportunities to take out insurance against all kinds of risks. And the more financial instruments, the better. But this did not deal with the most fundamental risks that people believed they were facing. They were of interest to people trading in financial markets, but they were not relevant to the reference narratives which individual households or companies actually faced. And it led people, I think, into a serious delusion that all these new financial instruments were creating market opportunities to reduce risk. And in many ways, the opposite was the case, that people were buying and selling these things without really understanding the properties of the instruments and without thinking through carefully what that implied for their own reference narratives. Now, Shackle, although he had interesting ideas and ideas which are still highly relevant today, has indeed been almost forgotten. And probably the main answer is the kind of steamroller of mathematical reasoning in economics. And Shackle didn't do mathematical reasoning. But it went beyond that because he didn't engage with the kind of people who did. He wouldn't supervise PhD students. He wouldn't go to conferences and engage with his critics. He preferred to stay in Liverpool and write more essays in a similar vein. So I think... It's this lack of engagement with a wider economic community that is the reason why Shackle's largely forgotten and why his contributions have been neglected. Mervyn, why do you think Shackle's been neglected? I think he made a very small impact on our generation because by then we had become ourselves wrapped up in the application of quantitative methods and mathematics to economics. This was a very exciting period. I remember I started my first graduate work, working on a large computer model of the British economy. This was innovative, it was new, and and exciting opportunity to apply the methods I'd learnt as a student to what looked like serious practical problems. But it didn't take very long, I think, before people realised that there were serious limitations to the application of these models, which were that expectations about the future just didn't fit into them at all. And then the question was, how could we understand expectations in economics? And people said, well, we will model expectations in a way that draws all the sting out of them, another life from expectations and uncertainty, by assuming that any expectations that people hold have to be consistent with a particular mathematical model of the economy that we're using or constructing, so-called rational expectations. And that's a perfectly sensible modelling exercise in a small world. What it isn't is a description of how people behave in the real world. And that, I think, was 
the point that Shackle was making and that was just lost. In the attempt to be as rigorous as possible, mathematically rigorous, what was lost was a genuine understanding of what was happening in the world. Yeah, I think at an earlier stage in our career, we were both in different ways committed to what was then the dominant idea that one needed to build a macroeconomic framework on microeconomic foundations, which actually seems a very plausible position to take. But in the end, I think we can look back and say that that was a failed project, that in order to do it, you have to simplify the micro foundations so much that you've thrown away a lot of what matters in the real world. And I think that where Shackle failed to hit the mark was to be clear in saying that, yes, your line of probabilistic reasoning works, but only in small worlds, and look how small they are. His own writings were just a bit too obscure and too difficult, I think, to make people see that simple point. I agree with that, Mervyn. Shackle retired from Liverpool in 1969. When he died in 1992, neither of us, Mervyn, ever met him, which is another measure of the fact that he really ceased to engage with a wider economic community. Most well-known people of that era, we did meet one way or another. My feeling, John, is I'd be interested in your view on it, but two things. One is that it was my experience during the financial crisis when I realised how unhelpful almost all the mathematical models were and how I found much more inspiration from the study of history. But it made me think much more deeply about what was the essence of Keynes's general theory and I came to appreciate the radical uncertainty was, at least in my judgment, central to understanding how the economy worked. But what is also certainly true is that if I had embarked on this thesis in the early part of my career, my academic career would not have been as successful as it was because I would be regarded as a rather unquantified heretic who was not contributing to the progress of the science. So Shackle was a heretic. You said that, rightly, I think, that if we'd 20 years ago taken the kind of positions Shackle took, we would have been regarded as heretics too. What kind of reception do you think we'll get for the book we're writing together? We will see. It would be nice if people were recognised that the role of radical uncertainty is sufficiently important in the world that they would see that the modelling which dominates so much of economics is not a description of the world but produces useful parables, stories, narratives that can be used to understand part of the issues that we face in the real world. But we hope that our book on radical uncertainty will rekindle some interest in the legacy of Shackle and more important perhaps that the idea of radical uncertainty is one that researchers and others will take sufficiently seriously that they will push on and push back the frontiers of work in this area which has been sadly neglected in many ways since the work of Keynes and Knight in the 1920s a hundred years ago. for listening to this podcast from the British Academy. To hear more like this, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or your own podcast app by searching The British Academy. To find out more about the work the British Academy does, including upcoming events, please visit thebritishacademy.ac.uk.